It's not supposed to be a battle throughout the week. Right now, I understand Ephesians, Ephesians 6 gives us the weapons of, of our warfare, right? But in my mind, it's not supposed to be, be, be this battle where, we, where, in my mind, a battle is, is where you feel like you're losing, right? Where you lose perspective of the fight, where it's always like this, this you know, you take the ground and then you lose ground. And, and this is not the way I, I think that Paul meant when he was writing the scriptures to us, when he wrote and, and was giving us this, this armor in Ephesians 6. But rather, I, I view this perspective that we become such mighty warriors in the fight that we see the battle unfold in front of us where we are the victors rather than the blood, sweat, and tears that go into the battle. Because if I recall correctly, I hear the voice of one who is winning the battle. Where in the garden, you recall, where blood and sweat dripped from his brow. Where being pierced by the spear and having his hands and feet pierced by these nails. The battle, as he said... It's finished. It's finished. So, how do we live into that? And this is what I want to talk about a little, about, a little bit about this morning. Because I think this is the question. I think this is precisely the question. See, I think we spend so much of our lives, if you're like me, right? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But I think we have these different perceptions of the reality that we live in. You either see the world that we live in as extraordinarily broken. And it's, it's, it's unredeemable. It just floods your human experience. You, you, you find this, this, this anger, this fear, this anxiety, this, these, these, this brokenness constantly flooding over you. And our only escape then is to kind of go to Jesus. But... but the only respite that you have is when you're with Jesus because as soon as you leave his presence, you're back in this world overwhelmed by this brokenness. And, and that leads me to the second perspective that, that sometimes we, we, we segregate this broken world from the eternal one and we, so we just want to live in the eternal one. Right? Doing anything we can to just kind of forfeit this one, just kind of get out, just kind of leave it behind. And it's almost like we're forced into this dichotomy of going back and forth and back and forth. Have you ever, have you ever jumped back and forth between hot water and cold water? So this is like a, this is like a Russian like healing thing, by the way. Where they kind of go back and forth between, between these pools. But each and every time that I've done it, it's just been this unbearable shock on my system. I love going into the warm. From the cold. But every time I go back to the cold, it is just this, this shocking experience. And sometimes I feel like, like our spiritual lives are kind of like this. We just kind of end up being thrust and thrown back and forth. And, and rather than becoming alive and, and, and being part and understanding what God is doing, how God is using us. It becomes this weight 
where our body's constantly shocked and, and flooded by the emotions, flooded by, you know, the brokenness, flooded by the failure and little pieces of rest. So I want to look at the life of Paul. And I'm not going to say to you this morning that I have specific answers. But I do know this. I do know that, that through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, I do know that we've been given tools to live vibrantly in this life. And if we can understand these tools and take hold of these tools, then we're going to take on a very different perception of our life experience. Because there's something about Paul that I want you to know that I think many of us, <laughs> I think we just kind of have to disagree with. Paul just had a very, very different conversion experience that I think it's very easy for us to kind of ride off. If we recall, as we retell the story, looking in, in Acts, I think it's Acts, I think Acts 9, Am I right? In Acts 9, we all know the story, and this is, this, this, is, this is quite good, but Saul's on his way, right, with authority. Scriptures say very clearly, with authority, to go throughout the region and to identify and punish anyone who identifies with Christ. Right? He was there with authority to see to the transition of Stephen from this world into eternity. Scripture is very clear. He had this authority that he embraced. Now, I want you to know, he didn't have God's authority. Whatever authority he had was under his, was under his own doing, his, his own provocation. But I want you to know, have you ever met these people who are just so convinced that what they're doing is right? And the more that they believe that they are right, the more authority they give themselves. And they just kind of keep thrusting themselves into this place. At some point before Christ, we all pursue our own desires under our own authority. And Paul's in this place. Paul is in a place where he's taken on this piety and he's taken on this righteousness and he's and he's driving forward, and we know how the story goes. He's on his way to Damascus, and, and Jesus comes and meets him. Right? And when I read the scriptures, I, I think this is just, I, I perceive this to be a completely, um, um, not life-altering moment, but a reality-alternating moment. Right? There's, it, it, Paul seems to be in this place that he's actually found who he's been looking for. And rather than being angry, rather than persecuting, right, rather than being in this, in this place where, I mean, in my mind, if he's going around looking to persecute people who love Jesus, and Jesus meets him, he should be ready to really fight here. Right? He's thrown in the dark. He should be, let's just be honest. Right? In my life, I've, I've walked through seasons of terrible, terrible anger. Terrible anger. And, and whether I directed that towards people, took it out towards people, at its basis was my anger towards God. Why was he not giving me what I wanted? Why was he not meeting in, me, in my needs? Why was he not showing up? And, and this was my perception over and over and over again. And it's not that God wasn't 
presence, is that I wasn't open to his presence in his way. And so I was angry at him. And most of us experience this just as children with parents. You know, in our pride, in our own selfishness, in our own sin, we just don't like the word no. We just don't like the word no. See, in this moment, Paul is, Saul and Paul is experiencing something that's so radical. I, I think, and I've talked a little bit about, bit about this before, but I'm going I'm to expand on it. Have you ever had, I've spoken about this, but have you ever had like, when you watch these, these movies, I think they tell the story best, but have you ever had, ever had like a mind jump? or soul jump in, in a very real way. What I mean by this is I've been recently watching a, a movie called Unbroken. Maybe some of you may have seen it. It's about um, an Olympic runner back during World War II who, who's just placed under the extreme pressures over and over again and, and just finds a way to just use the tools, use the tools that, that God enables us with to, to overcome. And, and in this film, I didn't want to watch it because I just didn't want to watch an individual suffer. I didn't want to watch a cinematic portraying of certain World War II events that uh, I, just didn't want to, I just didn't want to watch it. Some of it was because I didn't want to really step into that... I didn't want to expose myself to, to that added weight, but even more so, I just, I didn't think that the storytellers would draw me in. And it's interesting because the way that they tell the story is they, they have these mind jumps, these soul jumps. And in the midst of, of this suffering, that they're going through this intense pain, the main character will have a flashback to a to another time, perhaps a happier time or, 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 or a character-shaping time. And, and so for me, Paul being well-educated in the scriptures, I like to imagine that something happened in him, that, that in the presence of Christ, that, that God took him somewhere to show him something. Not only the realities and the depths of his own evil, which is very, very clear, I think can be argued here in the scriptures, but I think period of times throughout his life, but even period, periods of time throughout eternity. I like to think that, that Paul had a snapshot, had, had this, this revealing moment of God's glory that, that actually took him back to, to Genesis 1. Uh, now, why do I say this? I don't know. But I think you all have as well. I, I, I know I have. I love Genesis 1. I love to let my soul skip back to the imagination of what Genesis 1 was like. God, in all of his knowing and perfection, created eternity in this Garden of Eden. And, and it says it was set up with boundaries. And these boundaries, I want you to know, these boundaries weren't to limit the freedom of Adam and Eve. They were to grant them freedom. And they knew exactly what they were to do in this space. And they were completely free under the authority 
of the eternal God. To live as they were designed to live. I think when we step into the presence of God, I think what we get a clear picture of is two things. One is a clear revelation of, of our unholiness. Scripture is very, very clear about this. Paul says one day every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I want you to know, I, when I was younger, I used to think this was like a voluntary thing. It was a voluntary thing, right? You ever, I had this experience years ago. If I lose my place, someone please bring me back. I had this experience years ago. I loved playing tennis growing up. And playing tennis with all my hometown friends, I was quite good. I was the best. I was the best in my town. So fast forwarding many, many years, ended up uh, meeting um, another tennis player. And this is, I was here in Lancaster at the time, and, and we were becoming friends, so we decided to go play tennis. And here it turns out he, he was a, uh, like, uh, not a pro, but like a junior pro. Junior pro, and, and this didn't bother me. Why would I care? I was, he didn't know how good I was. I was good. And, and, and all was going well and, until, well, we started playing. And he would just serve an ace, an ace. If I, got, if I got my racket on the ball, that ball was going anywhere but where it was supposed to. And I just immediately recognized Two things, how bad I was and how good he was. See, I think when we come into the presence of Jesus, I think there's a very clear revelation how far off the mark we are and how perfect he is. See, in that tennis match, it was very easy for me to come to the conclusion, come to the conclusion you're good. I could vocalize that. I was aware of that. I, and, and I just always thought this. Every tongue would, would confess, every knee would bow. It was just kind of like that. Oh, Jesus, you're good. You're, that's good. You're good. But that's not what I think it means. So I think, I think the realities of being in Jesus' presence, you actually lose capacity to stand. You are actually, his glory and his holiness is so pure that what we and I consider as holy, right? What I consider holy is the fact that I was able to drive in here this morning. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. Holiness is just like my ability to do anything. I can feed myself. I can bathe myself. I'm somewhat healthy. So I'm doing pretty good. Right? Do I really need Jesus? This is how we think. Outside, outside of, of Christ, this is really how we think. I'm doing okay. Why do I need Jesus? Yeah, I have my problems, but I'm not as broken as the last guy. Right? But I think Paul in this moment, he is so, this revelation is so powerful that he is just, he has found, he has lost everything that he was looking for and he has found everything that he's desired in this moment. And things happen in Paul's life. And I want to turn with you to Galatians chapter 1. Come along with me. Galatians chapter 1. 
Galatians, I want to read some passages in Galatians and Corinthians this morning. And, and these passages, um, these, are, these are two of the first books, I believe, that Paul um, had written. So I think they're more than letters. I like to read them as journals. I think they're so filled with, with not only instruction, but, but they're based on things that he's seen, things that he's experienced. So, so I want to read here, Galatians beginning in chapter 1, verse 6. Yes, I'll start here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Gospel here simply just means good news. You're turning to some other good news. How many of you would just love to hear some good news today? Okay, let me tell you this. Jesus died for you. That good news that we're waiting for, it doesn't come anywhere. Paul is saying very, very clearly, it doesn't come anywhere close to the good news that you've already been given. Revisit it. Open that letter again and again and again. Because this is exactly the temptation. And again, friends, <clears throat> I am so, I fall prey to it over and over and over again. We're always looking for that next piece of good news, but we're never going to get better news than the fact that Jesus rescued our souls. Verse 7. Not that there is another one. Listen, there's not, there's not another good news that can compete with this one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I want to pause here because something's happening in my life where as I'm getting older, I'm just desiring the simpler. Yes. I'm just desiring... I'm just, I want to know what Paul knows. And what I mean by this is, I, I don't want to keep competing for what everyone else is competing for. In my soul, the, the very, very reality of the life around me is almost as if a rich man comes out every morning from his house with an allotted portion of gold. And he throws his gold on the ground where, where a multitude, where I stand outside, stand and gather to dive into these riches to grab what I can, like a bunch of pigeons trying to catch their birdseed. And that's just kind of what it feels like to me. It has felt like to me. We went, have any of you been out to, there is a, a golf course out in um, Burdenham. Miniature golf. Mm. Wonderful little miniature golf course out in Burden Hand. What is the name? Water's Edge. What is it? Water's Edge. Mm -hmm. oh, Water's yeah. Edge. And there's this nice little, there's this nice little man-made pond. It's not really a lake, but a man-made pond. And they have, they have koi in there that are like this. And you can go down to the dock and, and oh, by the way, they have goats that are like this. And this is, this is width by the way. 
And so when you go over there, they have, I'll explain to you why, but they have these little machines you put in your quarter and you get out, you know, some food. And so people just feed these fish all day long. They feed these goats all day long. And, but it doesn't matter when you go. Whenever you, whenever you throw food in there, these, these koi and these ducks, they fight over these, these morsels as if it's their, it's their last meal. Right. <laughs> it's, only the, it's either the smart ones or the full ones that stand off at, at the distance. You know, you can kind of hear them being like, ah, you know, fools. <laughs> it's like watching Black Friday. Yeah, it's, like, um. it's exactly right. Well, this is how I feel sometimes. This is how I felt being shaped by the culture that I live in. That somehow when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're, you're just at, this, at this, the discretion of this wrestling match. So somehow scrape enough together to get through the day. I think this is the prayer and the invitation for us. For, for, that God would help us to see clearly that there's more. That there's more. But this more is very, very different. I meet people who, who come to follow Jesus and then, then they try to use Jesus to get more. We try to take the name of Jesus and try to, let me just, let me just, let me just explain. I'm not a big social media person. I have nothing wrong with it. I do use it for work. I do use it to make introductions, to connect with people and meet with people. But I also feel very victim to social media. I'm not very good at, at sharing my life publicly. I've kind of come to this place that, that whoever I share with, I, 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 want it to be, I want it to be a shared experience. Yeah. I, I want to be known. I, I don't want to share anything in my life that, that, that somehow is, is some empty, empty desire or rush to collect something that's just not meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and I'm not, I, I don't want that to be the case for you. Maybe this isn't true for you, but I just want you to know that it's, it's true for me. Years ago, I, many of you don't know this, but Facebook has been around for a long time now. And, and so I used to be one of these individuals. I would, I would take my pictures and post them and, and, and share them and, and just finally came to the conclusion that I just had no idea why I was doing this because it just wasn't meaningful to me. It just wasn't meaningful to me. But I remember sometimes I come to my own conclusions that what I'm going to say is untrue. But yet the words have escaped my mouth that, that I'm just not as successful as I would have liked to be. I just could have accomplished more or, 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 or maybe you know I just, just haven't emptied or used all the potential that God's placed in me and released it into the world. You ever feel this way? Uh, side note, I think this is a really, really, really good thing. See, sometimes when people come to this conclusion, when I come to this conclusion, it, it becomes this sad thing. You know, there's just more inside of me that, that I just want to be able to do or accomplish or share. And... But here's, here's the problem with that. If you are able to accomplish all that you imagine, you suffer from an extremely small imagination. Oh. See, what I believe is that the Lord's actually given us his imagination, his dreams, 
things that he wants to accomplish. You might not be the one to accomplish it. But maybe the person next to you will. Maybe we were actually created to actually be part of what God is doing rather than what we want to be able to do. And so I have moved into these places sometimes feeling that I'm just not accomplishing enough or I've not been able to step into all that, the potential that's in me. But I think there's a great joy to be had in recognizing that you will never, if you're in Christ, you'll never fulfill all the imagination that's in you. But he will fulfill it. He promises he will fulfill it. Back to verse 7. Not that there's another one. There's not another gospel. But there are some who will trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, this is a, distort, this is a distorted reality that our culture and sin and the world that we live in thrusts upon us. That somehow I'm supposed to accomplish all this. I'm, there's so much more in me to do this. There's so much. And we don't reach what we feel like, like is our goals. Or Let me continue. Because this, this is not the word of the Lord. This is not God's promise. Let me continue. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one that we preached. Listen, contrary to the good news of the work of Jesus. I want to be very, very clear. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. There is this, what Paul is saying is anytime that you're tempted in this way, any other vision or dream or desire or anything that you feel that you could accomplish... If it in some way, if you think that it's greater than what Christ has done in your life, that is a complete lie. We need, we are being called back. We need, we need an imagination check, a, a soul check. To once again, to return to the amazing work of who Jesus is, what Jesus is. We need a soul jump back to the cross. See, most of us in this room have had that reality once where we met Jesus. And it became the platform for this process to begin and for a changed life. Listen, how do I want to say this? The work of Jesus is the miracle. The miracle is the process of a changed life. Through Christ, our lives can change. But listen, this doesn't happen overnight. The miracle isn't an overnight change. The miracle is the gift. The miracle is the process. The miracle is the invitation to begin again. This time with new tools. If you look further, I'm going to turn there now. Galatians 5.22, Paul lists what I believe are these tools. Many of you know this passage. 
The fruit of the Spirit. The tools of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus has have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, I want you to look at these tools. So often we look at these, at this passage, Galatians 5.22, as something that in a new life in Christ, these begin to surface in our lives. And I want you to take stock. I want you to, to, if you have time, sit down and actually make a list. Write these down. Love, joy, peace, patience, and put a dash next to it. And then a scale rate, rate 1 to 10, how evident these gifts are in your life. Love. Oh, God, I'm really struggling with love right now in my life. Uh, so often when I hear of love, I, I think of, of loving others, right? Love your neighbor. God, I'm having a hard time loving other people right now. And as I say that to you, I hear the Spirit come to me, and I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, how are you doing at loving yourself? How are you doing at understanding how much I love you? See, when I first read Galatians 5.22, this became like this measure in my life where I was, this was, was supposed to, this was what I was supposed to start seeing in my life. Listen, Jesus, I gave you my life. My life's not changing. And I see the Holy Spirit saying to me, well, you're taking upon yourself my tools. Like any craftsman, you have to, when you learn a new craft, you have to learn to use the tools. When we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are now craftsmen of the Holy Spirit. And these are his tools. Do you recognize that, that and he says this right here, I love this. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let's, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying. envying. Uh, where, where did it say this? Um, I missed it. It, it. Where does it say? And it, Oh, there it is, verse 23. Um, against such things there is no law. These tools, when you begin to use them, and I want you to know the Holy Spirit's very, very clear that we have been granted the Holy Spirit so we can learn to use these tools, learn to practice these tools. And as you practice them, I want you to know that among them, not only is there no law, but there's actually no limit. Love is not bound to a capacity as a cup of water. The capacity of love is equal to the capacity that we actually receive love from God. Right now, in Paul's life, in this time and place, as he's writing the Galatians, he's going to talk about, and I'm going to get to it, he's going he's to talk about his specific journey. And he's going to talk about, in this moment in Damascus, when he opens his eyes, he's going to start immediately sharing the miracle of who Jesus is. But he's going to say that he's going to go into this very, very peculiar time in life. He's going to go into a very peculiar time and he's going to disappear from the landscape of the life of Paul as we know him. Turn back with me to Galatians chapter 1. This is in verse 11. 
For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. This is not necessarily something you should be boasting about. He's saying that his, his commitment to this was far and beyond. It says, continuing, So zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to, D- to Damascus. I just want to look at verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, I believe, I believe that we're all called I believe from the foundation of the creation of time, I believe that, that God has created each and every one of us in his image and has called and, cre- and has created and called all of us to him. I argue this by saying Peter wrote these words. That the reason why eternity is that Jesus has not returned and that eternity has not been brought to fruition is because Peter says that he desires none to perish but for all to come to eternal life. God is not slow in keeping his promises, Peter writes. But he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. I believe what Paul is writing here is not individualistic. He's not saying, hey, I was picked. I'm so grateful that I was being picked. And and you know why I share this? Because you're going to meet people today, maybe even yourself here this morning, you go through your day thinking that you weren't picked. Wondering that maybe I wasn't picked. I just don't feel God showing up for me. I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm confused and I'm lost. And, and, and the suffering and the trials and the temptation that I'm going through, I don't know if I'm picked. I want you to tell you very clearly right now. Long before you were born, you were picked and created in the image of God to be redeemed and called to him. But here's the difference. Paul accepted it. Paul received it. See, something's happening here. When I chat with Justin, when we sent out the notification, the the theme that God gave me for this talk was was authority and freedom. I don't know if you've taken time to think about authority and freedom, but it's quite a perplexing theme. Because they quite simply go together. And the definition I'm going to give you is this. Authority is doing as you please. Freedom is living as you should. Authority is doing what you please. Living as you please. Freedom is living as you should. Now let me explain a little bit. When I say freedom is living as you should... 
I'm simply saying, accepting and moving back under the authority of the eternal God. There's only one authority under all of creation. And I don't need to convince you of that. You know it to be true. You know that, that the authority of the government is going to fail you. You know that, the, that there's been disagreement with you and the authority of your parents. You know that, that, that the only authority that you have come to trust, that you can trust outside of Yahweh, the only authority that you can trust is, you, is yourself. How well has that worked out for you? <laughs> How well has that worked out? For me, not so good. For me, not so good. But it's the only one I can find. Because every other authority that I look to is just as corrupt as my own soul. So in my story, the hero is the individual who's just slightly less corrupt than everyone else. And that's usually in our own story. We're just slightly less corrupt than the other person. Right? So what I'm talking about living as we should, what I'm saying is moving back under the authority of the one who designed us, created us, and called us. What I don't mean is this. Isn't it amazing how the evil one messes with us? When we move into a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been through this season in your life, and I hope you're moving past it to spiritual maturity. But when you move into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he rescues you, have you ever noticed how your life becomes living as you should? Oh, yeah, I, I, I should have done that. I know I should have made that decision. I know I should have lived that way. I know I should have done this, done that. Like reflecting back? Reflecting back. Every time, rather than conviction, we actually live a life of guilt. Oh, I should have. I should have done this. I should have done that. Yes, I'm not living. Yes, I love Jesus, but I'm not living as I should. And this is what's very, very interesting to me. Living as we should is not living in our perfect state. That should one day is coming. When eternity is restored, that should will be there. You will no longer be living a life, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, because we'll be living in our natural, pure, eternal state, covered by and established by the blood of Christ. So our current should is actually a should of repentance. It's actually a should of conviction. Not I should have done that, but Jesus, I'm sorry that I did that. Not a should... I know I should do this, but Jesus, I'm, I'd, like to, I'd like to make a different choice. See, sometimes what I find so often is that we find Jesus as our Savior, but we don't find him as our leader. We don't find him as our helper. We don't find him as our, as our rescuer. And yet we'll continue to, to complain that our life doesn't change. Yeah. Our life in Christ doesn't change. We meet Jesus... He promises us a changed life, but our life doesn't change. And this is what I'm suggesting is the reason. Because we don't take on his tools. Living life as we should is simply returning to understand the life that we were designed to create and the life that we're designed to be. Let me tell you a secret. Jesus knows that you're a sinner. He knows. And you know what? It's, it's covered. 
Of all the things, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again, of all the things that God knows, if you're in Christ, there's one thing he doesn't. He doesn't know the sin you committed yesterday. Because Jesus covered it. Sometimes we spend so much time on trying to eliminate sin from our lives that we actually refuse to focus on developing the tools that he's given us. We spend more time trying to stop doing things rather than trying to do new things. Mm, yes. And you know what happens when you begin to love just a little bit? You begin to, love begins to grow. You ever notice that when you learn to be patient just a little bit, you begin to develop the muscles, the spiritual muscles, to be patient a little bit more? You ever recognize what happens when you take gratitude as, as a form and function for your life? You become grateful for more. And these tools, step by step by step, they change our lives. And I think this is what Paul is talking to us about here because he walked through it. Continue with me. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, this is Peter, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order, in order to make sure I was not running or, or had not run in vain. Paul is retelling his story here, and I want you to know I really, really like it. I am not going to talk a whole lot right now about Paul's life here in, a, here in the present as he's writing this, this letter to Galatians. But I want to focus on what's not spoken about here. Paul says this. He says, he says basically, before you knew me, right? Before you didn't even know me. As Paul, before you didn't even know, right? You only knew me as the one, you know, the terrifier of the church. Before this day, before I wrote this letter, I want to reflect on something. I want to remind you of something. Three years I spent alone. I met Jesus and it changed my life. And the very first thing that he did was he left his old one. He just left his old one. Does anyone understand how difficult that is to do? That is the most courageous thing in the power and love of Jesus Christ that a sinner can do. Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that I've met you, so I know what I'm going to walk away from. But I don't know what I'm walking to. Paul knows, Saul knows that he met Jesus. He knows that he knows that he knows. And so he's going to go 
where he, he believes Jesus is. And he doesn't know what he's going to find there. But he's gone for three years. Many of us, in our lives, when we lose everything, if we were told up front that we were going to be alone for the next three years, we would call it quits. I don't know how long I can endure this. He was gone for three years. And then he comes back for a visit. And it's not a great visit. And I want you to know, Paul doesn't care. But if you're looking at Paul's life from our modern culture, this whole drive is just as if somehow we're just waiting for Paul to become famous. In our culture today, everyone just wants to become famous. Everyone just wants to be known. Everyone wants to somehow fulfill all these dreams and all these desires. Somehow, I just need, need to be happy. I need to, I need, what about me? Yeah, I've met Jesus, but he doesn't make me happy. And we just kind of keep moving in the wrong direction. We meet Jesus, but we just keep living our life of sin. Because we just don't believe Jesus is capable of the miracle that he promises us, which is the promise of a new life. The promise of a new life. We have to step in to the small, using the small tools that it begins to develop in us. And this is what Paul was learning in the desert for three years. And he comes back, and here's what happens. You can go back, please read uh, Acts 9, Acts 11, Acts 15, Galatians 1, Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7, I think. Maybe 1 Corinthians 7. I can get it to you if you want it. Paul comes back and he visits and he only meets with Peter. You know why? Because when the rest of the, when everyone else hears that Paul's here, they know exactly who he is. Now listen, when you read the scriptures, it's clear that they believe, okay, Saul's life has changed. But for their own safety and for their own safety of the church, they send him back away. It is not time for Paul to step into his calling. And I don't even know if that's why Paul's visiting. Because when your life is in Christ, your life is in Christ. You're no longer chasing anything. In my life, when I met Jesus, it's almost as if I was waiting for the next great thing Jesus was going to do in my life instead of Jesus being that next great thing. So Paul leaves. I like to think disheartened, but I don't think he is disheartened. But he continues in, the, in the chapter 2. He's gone for another 14 years. That is, if your math is, is as good as mine, I get 17 years that we hear anything of Paul. Anything. If there is ever a hopeless situation, if there is ever a failure in life, that's it. Oh, man, did you hear about that guy Saul, you know, met Jesus on the road to D Damascus, right? Was telling people, telling people about his, you know, how amazing he is. Yeah, what happened to him? I don't know. That was 14 years ago. Uh, this is the way we talk about each other. Right? We actually look at each other. And, and, and if you're not doing that next great thing, no, one's, no one talks about you. So it's almost like we live in a society where you're only remembered for doing that next great thing. 
And I believe when Paul's writing this, he's not coming to them saying, hey, look at me now. Look at, you know, I'm now this great church player. I'm now, you know, I'm now a celebrity. <laughs> if you go back to look at when Paul writes of all of, his, all of his obstacles and shortcomings and struggles, never once does he, does he lay out his Facebook list of all the great things that he's done. Oh, my word. I got invited to this person's house and we were drinking wine and I tell them about Jesus and they're saved. Here's a, here's a picture of the wine that we had. <laughs> oh, my word. I was invited to a baseball game and, and, and I was called in as, as the chaplain, you know, and I'm getting the chance, you know, to tell people about Jesus here for this Major League Baseball team. Here's a picture of all of us. That's not what he does. He talks about how he's beaten. He's talked about how he's worked harder. He's talked about his faithfulness. He's talked about his tools. I've loved and I've been patient. And he goes down the list of, his, of, of the tools that he's used. And I think what Paul is encouraging us to do, he's encouraging us to chase Jesus, encouraging us to chase these tools so that Christ may use us in the way that he wants, not so that we may be glorified in the outcomes that we want. Have you ever been extraordinarily underwhelmed in your life? unbelievably disheartened or discouraged by maybe some great thing that you've seen. So I, I don't, I, I'm a terrible tourist. I, I don't like tourism. I loathe it actually. And I'll tell you why. Because I've gone to some of the most magnificent sites on earth and I was just deeply underwhelmed. I went and stood there in, at the, the Colosseum in Rome, Italy. And you see everyone's around taking pictures. And this is, some of you have been there. This is a massive, this is a massive thing. Yeah. And you want to know what I thought? I stood there in its shadow and I thought this. It looks just like the picture. <laughs> and I felt like I just wasted so much time to get to this place to post a picture that was extraordinarily underwhelming to me, right? Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me. I'm not saying it's not fun to do these things. It's not fun to explore. I'm not saying that you can't be in these places and, and connect with history and, and, and connect with the, the soul realities of, of what Christ has done in your life. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, and here's what I think Paul is saying, is sometimes we're constantly looking for a good news to fuel the old news. Jesus rescued me from myself. He rescued me from the life that I should have had and is giving me a new one under his authority. And in, in his authority, we get to return to the Garden of Eden where these boundaries are established in our lives, where we can begin to live as we should, where these tools, where these gifts, this love, joy, peace, these things begin to flow and overflow in our lives. And the more people that we gather around us, that we share these things with, the more it grows. The more it multiplies, the more it becomes the wellspring of life. And I think this is exactly what Paul's inviting us into. It says in Corinthians, and I'll pick up here next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. This is at the end of Paul and his boasting. 
boasting about his sleepless nights, boasting about his hunger, boasting about exposure to the elements, the pressure, his own internal anxieties, his love for the churches. When I read what he boasts about, two things go through my mind. One is I don't want a life like that, and two, I want to know what he knows. And so he tells us in chapter 12, he tells us what he knows. 12 verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he talks about himself in a third person. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn has been given to me in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that it would go away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is being made perfect in weakness. See, Paul knew something that you and I need to know, and, and I want you to know that, that is not a secret being kept from us. Jesus has no secrets. But he only speaks to us what we're ready to hear. His grace is sufficient for us. Whatever Paul saw, whatever Paul was made aware of, is the same realities that he's sharing with us that the Lord himself is pursuing to grant us. What do I think he saw? I think he saw the eternal source of love. I think he saw the eternal source of joy. I think he saw the eternal source of patience, of faithfulness. I think when we understand this grace that's given to us, it's not grace to give up. It's grace to keep tending to the small things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because of the work that he's doing in us. Mm 